almost stoned. Is Kevin still in Germany? I mean, not Kevin, Kyle. Kyle, yeah. He is? When does he get back? All right. Thank you for that prayer, Kyle. Uh, golly. You just went Kevin. in Germany, Kyle. <laughs> Thank you for that prayer, Kevin, because uh, I needed that uh, just to know him. That's really what I wanted, just to know God. So if you've been here the past month and a half or you've been in one of those weeks, uh, you might have seen that we've been going through the I am statements, uh, statements that Jesus has made about himself, saying, I am this, I am that. Uh, why are we doing this? Why are we going through the I am statements? Was it just because Kyle just randomly picked it? Why is it important to know who someone is? Okay, Andrew said, so you don't mistake them for someone else. His statements describe his function and people's needs in relation to it. I'll say that again. His statements describe his function and people's needs in relation to it. Here's a little exercise. Uh, if you're a teacher, who needs to know who you are? Or who would you hope knows who you are if you're a teacher? What's, what's that? I, students. <laughs> students. Why? Because students need to learn, so they need a teacher, right? Thank you, Sam. What about if you're a nurse or a doctor? Who would you want to know who you are? Patients. What kind of patients? Sick people. Injured. What about if you're a mom or a dad? I'm just naming different titles. Who would you want to know who you are if you're a mom or a dad? Your kids. Can you see how a title can describe a person's function and the people's needs in relation to it? Can you see it? So let's keep that same line of thinking as we're looking at the I am statement. So who would you want to know or who would want to know that Jesus is the bread of life? The hungry. Remember Jesus, uh, Jay's sermon about our cravings? Who would want to know that Jesus is the light of the world? Those in the dark? The lost? Who would want to know that Jesus is the good shepherd? They're going to get harder and harder. They're going to make you think more. But we're going to interact this morning, so you can say it out loud. Or Okay, he said sheep. He said lost earlier. I think that would fit into this one, the good shepherd, right? What about the vulnerable who need protection? Shepherd gives his life for the sheep to protect them. This one's a little harder. Who would want to know that Jesus is the gate? Think about what a gate. Trying to find the way? What does the gate do? Let's people in and out. Those who want to get in. And she said the other one. Those who want safety. 
right? Because if there's wolves, when he was using that analogy, it's, it also forms a barrier. Not only does it let you in, but it, but it makes safety. It makes a barrier. Jesus is the entrance for his sheep and a barrier to the enemies. That was right after he healed that blind man, if you remember. You remember what the Pharisees did to that blind man after he confessed kind of his belief in Jesus? Do you remember what they did to him? They kicked him out of the synagogue, which was a big deal. And they shut the doors, right? Figuratively speaking. One day, those same Pharisees who rejected Jesus will approach the gates of heaven. They'll be on the outside of the gates, or whoever has rejected Jesus. And the man who received his sight, he'll be on the inside of the gates. Right? Tables are going to turn one day. Those who seek safety and acceptance and shelter will find it in Jesus because he's the gate. Who would want to know that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? We talked about this last week. Who would want to know he's the resurrection and the life? The dead? Those who are afraid of death? Which is like maybe everyone? What's one thing you remember from that lesson? It's not over. It's not the end. If you're in Christ, nothing is the end anymore. Whether it's present tense suffering or future anticipation or anticipation of future suffering. It's not the end. If you already know Christ in this manner, you're like, Ross, I already know all these messages. I already read. I know all these chapters in John. I'm very familiar with them. What about me? you already know Christ in this matter, then these messages, these are the messages that you take to people around you who don't know him. Do you know anyone who's craving? Consider taking them through John 6. You don't have to be an official pastor just to read some verses with somebody. You know anybody who feels like they're in the dark? Consider going through John 8 with them. They might want to. You know anybody who feels lost? Somebody you work with? Somebody you go to school with? Somebody who lives around you? Consider going through John 9 and 10 with them. A chapter or two, guys. Today we'll look at the next I Am statement and find out why Jesus said I am the way, the truth, and the life. Just out of curiosity, Adriana, did that, is that paint thing going to work? No, 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 I was just wondering. Is it? Okay. Okay. All right, y'all. At the core of our being, our deepest desire and need is to have a relationship with God. It's the only way we'll, we will experience and attain the life that we long for. It's the only way. What we really desire deep down inside is a relationship with God. Go ahead. Yeah, pull up that paint. I, was, I don't do PowerPoint. Adriana's my help. I was going to bring up a, that little whiteboard up here, but I thought, y'all are going to laugh at me when I ask her to draw this. All right, Adriana, can you draw a circle? Go. 
then we're gonna fill it in too. If you can like do that paint, there you go, that paint bucket. All right, let this represent that need deep down in your core. Contrary to popular belief, there's no other thing or person that can meet that need. And just to give a frame of reference uh, on this model, draw another circle, like a dashed circle around it. Just to give you a frame of reference. Let this outer circle represent our desire for relationship with one another. Okay? So you have other needs, right? But down deep in the core is your need for relationship with God. If you meet that first need through a relationship with God, regardless of any other circumstance you face in life, you will make it through. That was last week's message, regardless of any other circumstance. As for now, one problem still remains that we're going to talk about. We're not home yet. We're not home yet, right? You wake up in the morning, you got to go to work, or I don't know, something else you dread. It's like, oh. Or you sigh. Maybe something else you're facing. Some other difficulty or challenge. Not home yet. God is our Father, and we have a relationship with Him, but we're not home yet. Can you pull up those verses, Adriana, 2 Corinthians? Y'all can pull out your Bibles too if you want. 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to look at verses 1 through 4. The other one. You, did you get the, the other one? There we are. Sweet. All right, I'll read it. Does anybody else want to read it? Go ahead, Andrew. Uh, one through four. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan earnestly, desiring to be clothed upon with our house, which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Thank you. What's it saying? As for now, we live in a temporary shell of a body, in a temporary place we call earth. Yes, if you, if you have accepted Christ, he's in you and you're in him, but this is not our permanent residence. If you began a relationship with God, then you're on a journey home. And God's word says we long to get there. Is it just me? Is it any of y'all that longs to get there? To get back home? Turn to John 13 now. We're going to open up right there. The disciples are in a similar situation.
Somebody read John 13, 33 through 35. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I'm going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples and you love one another. He starts off by saying, little children. That's weird, right? Because these are grown men. Some big dudes, probably. Some of them are fishers. And it's a, group, it's a rough group of men, too. And he calls them little children. Little children describes an age group that has a lot to learn. It also describes an age group that is afraid or that gets afraid when they see their dad about to leave. What do you what do you do? What do your kids do when they see you grabbing your car keys when you're about to leave? What do your kids do? They grab you. You know what I'm talking about? Or maybe you have to leave town. But when your kids realize that you're leaving, what is their reaction like? Don't go. What's that, Scott? Trying to get you to stay. Trying to get you to stay? Some of my kids, once they know I'm leaving, I'll get like 17 hugs in five minutes. And there's only seven people in the house, so you do the math. <laughs> Trying to walk to the restroom, and one kid is on one ankle, another kid's on the other. Dragging them. You know how they hold on to your ankles when you walk? They're like, don't go, Dad! I'm just going to the restroom. It only happens when they're little, though. Hence the word little children. I got an older son, and when I tell him I'm leaving, he's just like, he's got his sunglasses on. Later. Right? It's different. But Jesus calls them little children. Jesus is preparing them like you do your kids when you leave. He's preparing them for his departure. Now, my kids have siblings, so one thing I tell them before I go is, be nice to each other. Share your things. Stop fighting. Y'all do that with yours? No, you got good kids? My kids are good too. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. That's what he just told them. Look at the people around you. Take a look. Take a look real quick. Look behind you. Look at all those people. Look in front of you. You know who they are? Those are your siblings. Those are your siblings, seriously. More than any other relationship that you have in this room with people that is permanent, is that these people are your siblings, your brothers and your sisters. And Jesus says, love each other the way I've loved you. Can we deny that we're made in God's image? We do the same thing with our kids. By this, they'll know you're my disciples.
So when you read your Bible and you're wondering why there's so many reminders to love each other, think about it. We want the exact same things for our kids. So he said three things. I got to go. You can't come. Make sure you love each other. What do little kids say when you tell them where you, that you got to go somewhere? Can we come? Yeah. Somebody read verse 36 through 38. Whenever y'all are ready. Anybody could do Yeah, yeah, 13, 36 through 38. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, Where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. And Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me. <laughs> Where is Jesus going? <coughs> to the cross? Back home? It's both. He's going to the cross and he's going back home. He's going to the cross in order to break the barrier that keeps us from getting to the Father. It's part of his mission. By doing this, he bridges the gap and makes a way for us to get back home. So in both, in both ways, Peter can't follow him. He can, Peter can't go to the cross. It would be pointless if he did. Not only that, Jesus is about to dress why he can't. He can't go to heaven either. But he will later. He said, but you will later. Once the work is done. Once Jesus is done doing his work. Once Jesus paves the way. But Peter doesn't completely understand yet. Kind of like that conversation Jesus had with Peter earlier. Jesus came to wash his feet. He's like, are you washing my feet? Jesus said, you don't understand what I'm doing right now, but you will later. You're not washing my feet, Peter said. Well, then you don't have any part with me. Dang it. He's a little apprehensive, right? Jesus didn't explain everything. He just said, you don't understand right now, but you will later. And he said the same thing right now. Where I'm going, you can't follow me, but later you can. So what's he say? Why not? I'm not scared. I can keep up. Here it comes. Did you already read it? Did you already read it? Let's see. Well, yeah. Will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow. You've denied me three times. He's like, really? You'd give your life for me? I didn't want to say this in front of your friends, but you actually going to be so scared that you're going to pretend like you have no idea who I am. Three times. Ouch. Jesus didn't find pleasure in predicting 
Peter's failure. But listen, y'all. The truth is that only Jesus can make the journey to the cross. Only Jesus can. In humility, we have to realize that no one, not me, not you, not even confident Peter, is as devoted, as capable, and as qualified as Jesus to atone for the sins of the world. We just have to accept that. Peter had to accept that. Some people suffer the consequences for their actions, but Jesus undeservingly, unwillingly suffered the consequences of our actions. That's the difference. That's the kind of love Jesus has for you. No one else could or would do that for you. Jesus is the only way. So it was a scary time for the disciples hearing that Jesus would soon be leaving and they couldn't come. He was the shepherd that protected them. He was the gate that let them in. He was the light that helped them see. Would you be scared if he was that person for you in that time? To hear that he's leaving? So how does he encourage them? 14 verse 1. Someone can read that. Uh, just for, uh, chapter 14 verse 1. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Don't be afraid. I wish I would listen to those words more in my life. From Jesus. Don't be afraid. We should meditate on that, on those words more, more often. Don't be afraid. You believe in God, believe also in me. He makes a distinction between their belief in God, the father and Jesus himself, which is weird because we understand them to be all three in one, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But why is there a difference? He does this because in their mind, there still is a difference in their mind. There is a difference in the level of trust they have placed in Jesus compared to the Father. There's still some doubt. Can I really trust Jesus? Is he really telling me the truth? Is he really coming back for me? Is he really going to do what he said he's going to do? Can I trust him with my life? He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. He's, he's showing that there's a distinction right now in their heart. A lot of people in religions claim to believe in God, but it's Jesus who they have a trust problem with. This is crucial to our faith. Why is it so crucial? Because Jesus is the only way to the Father. To those people who struggle to believe in Him, He said, if I do the works, if I don't do the works of my Father, don't believe me. But if I do, even if you don't believe me, believe the works, that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I am in Him. 
It's one thing if you don't trust me, he's saying, but if you see what I'm doing, then at least believe that I'm from God and that my actions are a testament of him. And so to his disciples, he's telling them something similar. You believe in God, believe also in me. Verse 2. Someone could read verse 2. In my father's house there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. So a couple observations. Where is he going? To heaven. His father's house. Same thing. He's going back home. What's another observation in that's in verse two? A place? Anything else? Stick out? Father's house are many mansions. That's weird. Why is there so many? Because other people are going to live there. He said, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. He's addressing the trust issue again. If it weren't so, I would have told you. He's saying, if something's not true, I'll let you know. I won't mislead you. I'm telling you the truth. You can't come with me right now, but I'm getting your home ready for you. Verse 3. Someone read verse 3. Some of y'all are logical thinkers. I, I think I am. Dave, am I a logical thinker? Sort of kind of. He's appealing to our logical way of thinking. He's saying, if I'm going to, prepare, going to prepare a place for you, then I'll come back for you. I'll take you with me. And you'll live with me. Oh, okay, well, that makes sense. He's going to prepare a place for me. He's going to come back, take us. He's trying to encourage them. Someone read verse 4 and 5. Into the place where I'm going, you know the way. <coughs> Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. So how can we know the way? He said, y'all know where I'm going. You know how to get there. And then Thomas raised his hand. Excuse me, Jesus, I have a question. Uh, I'm not trying to freak out right now, but we don't know where you're going. And we have no idea how to get there either. We don't know the way. What's happening here? When we get scared, we forget. When we get scared, we don't listen. He just said, I'm going to the Father's house. He just, he just, I just said it. Right? You ever tell your kids that? I just I just said it. 
Just this, I just said it. It's like, we don't know where you're going. <laughs> and we don't know how to get there. Okay, that part I can, I'll give you. It happens to us. We panic and we forget all the things that God has already shown us. Isn't that what happens? So what does Jesus say in verse 6? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Our deepest need is to have a relationship with God. And the good news is that Jesus has made this possible. But for the time being, we're not home yet. During this time, we become afraid. Where is God in my life? When am I ever going to make it home? I don't have enough strength. Or maybe like Peter, we're afraid we're going to fail now. Well, guess what? You will fail. But Jesus already went ahead of us and did all the work. He made the way home possible. We struggle with doubt. Can I trust him? Is he really coming back? He's not abandoned you. I want to tell you a short story as I wrap up. Uh, when I was a kid, I, my dad used to take me and my brother hunting. And uh, sometimes other people would go too. And I was about seven, eight, six, seven, eight, somewhere in there. And uh, one hunting trip sticks out. Uh, among the rest, we drove south out of town to a large hunting lease, and we'd never been to this location, so we weren't familiar with the layout of the land. We uh, we we each took our gear and rifles and, and set out to find a good spot, uh, but the landscape was covered with thick brush and thorns, and so it made it challenging to move forward. We eventually found a good spot and set up. It took forever to get there. By the time we got there, it was already getting late. We didn't have much daylight left, but we didn't want to go all the way out there, you know, and then just head back. So we stayed out there longer than we should have. And the sun was going down. And as a kid, I remember wondering when we were going to start heading back. And I felt a little worried because I knew we were far from the truck. The terrain was rough and we'd never been there before. So right before the sun was completely down, we knew we had to start heading back. And we're like, okay, we got, we got to start heading back. Started heading back in the same direction we came. And the sun was going down real quick. I felt a slight sense of panic starting to surface as a child. And I noticed that our steps were more hurried. And I could tell we were losing our bearing. And then it became so dark you could only see the bush directly in front of you. I remember being worried but not afraid. Because I trusted my dad. I wasn't afraid because I was with him. And we stopped a couple times to try to assess where we were, and it was obvious. Right? We should have had Travis there with us a little. 
on our way back, right? <laughs> uh, it was obvious we were lost. But we kept walking and eventually we came to a large pond that we remembered seeing on the way out. And from there we knew that our truck was directly on the other side. The only problem was the brush everywhere was bad, but surrounding the pond it was twice as bad. And I call it a pond, but if you look left and right, all there was was water. It wasn't like a little bitty, you know, drinking hole. So we didn't know how far we would have to walk to get around it, much less, you know, it was completely pitch black by now. So the sun was completely down, and the only way back was, without getting lost, was going straight through the pond. I was about, yeah, seven years old at the time. It was me, my dad, my brother, and one of my brother's friends. So my dad went in first to see how deep it was. And it was about up to his chest. Mind you, we had dressed all dressed in hunting apparel, boots, jeans, long sleeve, rifles, all that. And I was the youngest. And it was obvious that I couldn't reach the bottom and wasn't strong enough to swim with all that gear on. So my dad put me on his back. And the other guys carry the rifles and the gear. So I get on his back, and we're there. Never been here before. Treading slowly across these unknown waters in the night. And we get about to the middle of the pond, and the water's up to his shoulders now. And mind you, my dad is like, he's not tall. But... Um, the pond was about 50 yards to the other side. So I get on his back and we're there. And a couple times I had thoughts of worry for him. Could he make it? But I remembered stories that he used to tell me about when he would literally rescue swimmers from, uh, from the water. There'd be these, there was some place they would go to, these kayakers would flip over and they would get stuck in the, uh, the current or whatever you call it. You know, where the water comes through and they, they kind of get stuck on the bottom. Him and his friends would, on a regular basis, go and, like, rescue people. So I remember that. And I knew he was a good swimmer. And uh, a couple of times when we were in the pond going across, I could, I could tell he couldn't reach the bottom because I felt him start paddling. Well, we made it all the way to the other side. And he carried me across the whole way on his back. And there was no other way I could have made it across. Y'all, Jesus is the only way that we can make it across. There is no other way we can make it back home. No other way. You can trust Him with your life. You can trust him in this life. That's why he said, I am the way, the truth, and life. That's right. God, you you see sometimes when we're scared or we're worried or we doubt or we're afraid of failing. Um, I just pray that we could fully embrace uh, the truth 
that you've told us and shown us that you've already done the work and we do long to be home with you our deepest need to have a relationship with you it can be met and it is met but we uh, we're scared just like the disciples were sometimes God, I pray that we would just be reassured knowing that um, just like that story that, that you're a good dad who we could rely on and trust and be confident and not because of our own strength as if we were going to do it on our own, um, but just that we know that, we, that you'll rescue us, God, and that you will take us home and take us across. Uh, we ask these things in your name. Amen.